Welcome to Crypto Sapiens, a show that hosts lively discussions with innovative Web3 builders to help you learn about decentralized money systems, including Ethereum, Bitcoin, and DeFi. The podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Crypto Sapiens is presented in partnership with Bankless DAO, a movement for pioneers seeking freedom from the limitations of the traditional financial system. Bankless DAO will help the world go bankless by creating user-friendly on-ramps for people to discover decentralized financial technologies through education, media, and culture. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Crypto Sapiens. Today, we are chatting with MetaDreamer, founder of MetaFactory and all-around MetaThinker in Web3. We pick up the conversation with him, sharing his interest in technology and startups from an early age and how his fashion startup evolved into MetaFactory. We touch on the inequality and inefficiencies of the fashion industry and the way MetaFactory is changing that. We also discuss DAO tools, NFT wearables, and the metaverse. Tons to unpack here, so let's get started. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I go by MetaDreamer. I'm a software engineer and designer. I've been working in the crypto DAO space for just over two years now. I'm a part of Meta Cartel, Meta Cartel Ventures, uh, helped start MetaFactory, and um, we've worked on projects like SourceCrowd and Coordinate and a few others. Um, and yeah, I'm, all, I'm about all things Meta. Heck yeah, man. The Meta meme runs deep, even in your name. <laughs> well, that's cool. So why don't we do an introduction as much as your... Uh, interested in sharing about like where you started, right? In terms of like your path leading to Web3, kind of how you discovered that and how all of that helped inform MetaFactory being developed. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think so. uh, It originally started back in like, um, you know, junior high when I was like playing RuneScape. and just like other MMORPGs and just like gaming a lot as everyone was as, you know, who's my age kind of growing up with the internet, but still sort of, you know, knowing a life pre-internet. So I think the the internet in general, like had a big influence on the my path in life um, and, you know, did teach me a lot. And, um, you know, I was actually, uh, this might be doxing myself a bit, but like, born the same year um that like a lot of the early internet technologies were created like javascript and um some of these other languages so that was like a weird synchronicity here cool thing um but yeah and then you know in uh high school i used to build and sell computers um my asian parents didn't let me get a job because um you know, it's the whole focus on school and don't worry about money type of mentality. So I had to like find my own ways to make money. So, you know, from then, from back then, I sort of had this like, you know, uh, almost as a forcing function, you know, have gone through this path of like, not just like following that traditional script of like, oh, you're going to get a job and do this, you do that. And, you know, I have to sort of think outside the box and find my own ways of like making money through the internet. Um, and, you know, there's, I started like mining Bitcoin and then, you know, doing a, a bunch of these things um, on, online and just like 
you know, from, from RuneScape too, it taught me a lot about, you know, supply and demand and markets and, you know, with the Grand Exchange and all that. So I think my time playing RuneScape influenced that too. Um, and then, yeah, I think from there, I, you know, went into comp- computer engineering in university. Um, I had an, I had a m- more of an interest in AI, but I also had a fashion tech startup um, that I was working on while I was in school. Um, and so a lot of that stuff actually came to a head when I, after I graduated, I, I was just doing some consulting work, building like, uh, you know, web and mobile apps, like full stack development type of stuff. Um, and I was about to actually go into grad school for, um, AI when, you know, that was, uh, around when, you know, all the sort of 2017, uh, crypto hype was happening or after that actually. And then, you know, seeing that, you know, there's all this like incredible stuff being built in the Ethereum community with like DeFi and, you know, um, you know, this is like 2019-ish, 20, late 2018, early 2019, like deep bear market, seeing that, holy crap. And in like deep bear market, there's still like all this crazy innovation happening here. Like there must be something, you know, deeper than that. And, you know, I, I'd heard about Ethereum and, you know, bought Ethereum back in like 2016, 17. So um that was like i I saw it as like an investment thing um you know i sold my bitcoin early so i was salty about that but i saw ethereum as like oh here's the next opportunity but it didn't really like hit me deeper until i really started to you know get involved in the community and start to understand deeper what's really going on in the space after seeing like you know deep bear market all these incredibly smart people are still super interested in this um and then you know from there i went to my first like crypto conference uh, at DevCon 5 in Osaka and, you know, just really getting to meet people and see what the community is all about. And, you know, originally I was like, oh yeah, I didn't really see myself like actually contributing to the community because I was like, I don't know Solidity, so what use am I going to be? But then after going to the conference, I realized that like 95% of the people there don't need, don't know Solidity and it's much more than that, much bigger than that. Um, so that was really promising. And then after that, uh, I I joined Metagame and Metacartel. Um, and then, you know, there was a branding... The way I actually joined Metacartel was uh, they posted a branding competition um, for SwagDAO back in, like, 2019. Uh, and then SwagDAO, essentially, I, that's where I came up with the brand for Metafactory um, and started working on Metafactory since then. And the, the idea for SwagDAO actually started... Um, in DevCon 5 in Osaka too, where they saw all this like, you know, merch and, you know, everyone wanting this merch there's all these like merch booths and merch tables. And, um, you know, they were like, oh, what if we just made a DAO that could like make merch for others? And then that was like the original idea. Um, but then it evolved into like, you know, much deeper than that with like, holy crap, we can actually change a lot of systemic issues with, like supply chain and fashion production and, you know, coordinating people and creativity and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the the story till present. Yeah, man. I mean, tons to unpack there. So the fashion startup that you were, the fashion tech startup that you were building while at college, did that have any, did you have any idea of like these crypto rails at that time or was it completely uh, like built on Web2? Yeah, so all that stuff was like super web too. And it was interesting because like what what's happening now with NFTs is what we were like 
trying to get at back then, but not really like closing the gap just because, you know, uh, like there's a unique property with NFTs that, you know, in, in terms of the interoperability and sort of global recognition of like all this art and creativity being on one common medium, which is the Ethereum blockchain. Um, you know, we were, it, it was really about recognizing the cultural impact of fashion and wanting to like shift it from something that's like, you know, unidirectional consumer behavior, which is like, oh, big brands, you know, make products and then advertise to us and consumers just like buy those products because they see things that like make them feel bad and, you know, make them want to buy stuff versus feeling more of like a connection and being engaged with a brand or, you know, uh, creators they like and, you know, having like, um, like blurring the lines between like producer and consumer and, you know, you like you start to see that actually take form in like web two still over social media where the meta has shifted from like, you know, just like content creators or like YouTubers, for example, which was like, I'd say like the 2010 to 2018, like era meta to now it's like way more about, you know, influencers who like make a genuine or not, not a genuine, but like seemingly genuine connection with their fans. It's usually one-sided, you know, so people feeling like some sense of like attachment, like the Kardashians, for example, their secret formula was that they made their whole audience seem like they were just like another one of their friends, you know? Um, And that sort of, that became the meta and people, you know, TikTok and, you know, Snapchat, like the shift from like Instagram to Snapchat and then TikTok was all sort of, you know, uh, 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 like a step towards like wanting more realness. You know, realness was essentially like the currency of the future. But you know, with uh, with Web two stuff, it's like it's still sort of like really fake. You know, um, because like a single person at the center with like millions of followers. You know, there's only it's like a very one sided thing where a, a a person can only build like a certain level of relationship with you know, so many people. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, it just becomes kind of shallow. And then Web3 is like really shifting that because it's like, it's really making things genuine where, you know, people are coordinating online, like, you know, starting to like work on stuff together, like build projects together, being fully anon people. Um, and, you know, through the lens or, or through, the, through the like utility of cryptocurrency and being able to like, you know, enter into agreements together and, you know, execute and make things happen together. Instead of just sharing information online, they can now share like value and ownership online. That has like, you know, taken a big leap forward towards that sort of realness being the currency of the future. Um, So yeah, I think it kind of just like evolved from there. And I think when I saw the thing for SwagDAO, I was like interested in crypto. I was like, you know, a software engineer and then also interest in fashion side and I was like well hey that's like you know the center of all the Venn diagrams that I'm interested (laughs) in so it makes sense yeah that's pretty rad man so let's let's talk a little bit about that uh realness that you just mentioned right so the realness in web 2 right you were saying that there's like these central parties that are the ones that are extracting all the value and everyone else is just kind of like facilitating that whereas in web 3 it's maybe a little more distributed. Can you talk about like how that distribution of value works at Metafactory, both in terms of maybe the products that are created, but also the people that uh, are you know working on on Metafactory? Hmm. 
Yeah, so um, I think like one of the things we've learned in the process of building Metafactory is um, throughout Web2 world, but especially in the fashion industry, like the people that create the value are not really the people who have the upside, like the pattern makers and the designers. And, you know, a lot of them, they might just be being like paid some sort of minimal wage um, at this like big corporation. And, you know, like Zara or other sort of fast fashion brands or like big legacy fashion brands, um, all the value sort of accrues to the investors and the sort of entrenched owners or leaders um, of those organizations. But the the value generated is actually coming mostly from the people doing the work. And then also, especially in fashion, like the um, the sort of popularity of any given brand is actually determined by the people who like choose to wear and represent that brand and, you know, uh, like sort of be evangelists of it. And, you know, and, and that almost becomes forced now because people have to pay influencers to like, you know, pretend to be genuine that like, oh, you know, this is a product I'm representing, but it's more so, you know, an advertising thing. Um, so that so that realness is gone in, in that dimension. But uh, in, in matter of fact, we were trying to shift that where like, you know, let's kind of starting from first principles, like forget about who's who owns what or who invests in what. Let's start with like, where's the value being created? Let's figure out ways to like measure that and then flow back, you know, ownership and resources to those people who are creating the value. Um, and, you know, it's, it's this sort of fundamental shift in the way we're thinking about value distribution. And, you know, this is the type of shift that's not really possible for the legacy Web2 world to do. Um, and I think this is like a key thing because a lot of people in Web3, they're focused on, you know, just taking a concept or something that works in Web2 and just like putting some, web, like slapping Web3 on it and then, you know, calling it a day, which is fine. But the real interesting stuff comes when you look at, you know, what things can you do now in Web3 that were like impossible to do back in Web2. So in Metafactory, now we can actually, you know, distribute um, ownership in the form of our governance token to everyone who contributes to Metafactory, whether it's in, you know, like design work, fashion production work, like operational help, you know, content creation, community writing, like, you know, Bankless, I'm sure you guys are familiar, all the different like type of working groups you have, um, figuring out, you know, how do those people generate value, how much value is generated, have like a peer-to-peer way of determining that. And then, you know, doing like regular retroactive token distributions to to those people um, and and buyers as well, actually. So the big part about Metafact originally was, you know, we wanted to support the people who chose to support us and, you know, give them a say in the future. So instead of like just buying something as a consumer, you buy it and then you get this governance token that can help you influence and shape the future of that, you know, brand or product. Um, so it, it becomes that sort of entry point or sort of, you know, the the open arms for them to like come and, you know, engage more or do more. Um, and in addition to that, you know, there's, you know, they get access to the DAO, they get access to all, like all these virtual worlds, like all these other opportunities. Like so much of what we do is like an experiential product more than it is the actual clothes we're making, right? The the experience of being a contributor to Metafactory and, you know, being a part of this community and 
you know, engaging and, and doing these cool things, like that's the real product more than it is the 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 physical merch we're making. That's almost the means to to the end. So you mentioned, you know, like brands, right? And so one of the things that I, I think you and I have talked about in the past is kind of like how the fashion industry is broken today. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of fashion giants, you know, the Nikes of the world and the Lululemons. Like, as as far as you see it and like how Metafactory is building out, you know, as a community, as a as an ecosystem, like, and how are how are you able to, or how is the organization or the DAO able to like work differently? I guess in terms of like how the decision making happens. Uh, I think you mentioned to some degree in terms of the incentives and reward structure for people who are um, contributing to the project and, and creating this value. Like, can you maybe describe some of the key challenges uh, in terms of like the traditional fashion industry and how it's broken, and then how Metafactory is seeking to solve some of those through some of the systems that it it has put in place, both for its you know creators, but also maybe even for like a token holder or for other projects that are collaborating with it. Yeah, so um, I mean, there's a lot, definitely, uh, of issues that we're kind of tackling in 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 different ways. I think you know one of them, of course, is like sustainability. Um, huge problem with like legacy is like, you know, there's this, the, the, the way of operating is usually, you know, you produce a bunch of stuff, you know, sell what you can and then have like a discount sale season to like move the product you couldn't sell. And then if there's like any leftover, you literally just like burn it or throw it away. Um, and there's like an incredible amount of waste that, that goes into that, you know, Gucci, for example, you know, burning like literally metric tons of shoes because, they, you know, can't put them back on the market because they would devalue the the product, the value of the brand. You know, if they sell them for too cheap, so they're actually forced to just burn them, um, which is crazy. How much, you know, went into first creating them and then it just go, all goes to waste. Uh, and the interesting thing about Metafactory is we started, you know, uh, right at the exact same time as like COVID started. So. The we were operating and figuring out how to like st- create this like decentralized like fashion supply chain um, in the sort of constraint of like uh, COVID supply chain issues and you know kind of physical production of things being like slowed down. So in that and that was a blessing in disguise because it was a forcing function to help us figure out what's the most you know the like decentralized way of making that happen. Cause if you think about decentralization, the whole purpose of it is, you know, anti-fragility or, you know, uh, not having some central point of failure, uh, or central point of abuse or control. So, um, and you know, that's the, the problem with like legacy supply chain is like in this push for like, you know, mass globalization, mass expansion of the economy. Um, it, like we didn't really think about what happens when like it's stuff like, hits the fan or, you know, is this the whole, you know, it's like, uh, there's tweets recently saying how like, you know, everything is a Ponzi. Um, when you think about it, you know, the, uh, so in in that sense, like the way the legacy world was built, it's like, just like not designed for it. And it's interesting because now in that process, like there's been a lot of people we've connected with through Metafactory that have been working on ideas for like more sustainability and sort of you know, micro factories for like localized production so that people can, 
you know, we're not like shipping things like across the world and, you know, spending all that. We can actually produce more localized to, to different regions and, you know, with materials and products that are specific to that region um, and, you know, not have like, and, and have the sort of connectivity of the organization be emergent from like the sum of all the individual agents acting inside of it rather than coming from some like central point of control, which then is like, you know, either like acquiring or sort of having top-down command of all the different, you know, aspects of this like network. Um, and a lot of people we've connected with from like the fashion industry, like they did not, like the, the legacy industry did not give them the time of day when it came to like their evolutionary and revolutionary ideas on how to improve things because they were too stuck in their old ways. And so it's interesting because Metafactory was able to like connect with them and work with them and, you know, give them support in a way that the legacy industry couldn't. And, you know, we were ready to like, you know, give them like ownership of Metafactory and have them like execute on their vision and their products, which they wanted to do anyways. Right. So it's like a really a huge like win-win situation where um, these people like were wanting someone to like enable them to like put their ideas out out there. And, you know, when it comes to zero waste design and, you know, kinetic garment theory and, you know, micro factories and like digi-physical, you know, production and tracking of royalties. And, you know, like, for example, like pattern making, it's like uh, if, if a pattern maker could like tokenize their pattern and then open source it so that anyone else can create derivative, like, you know, apply different like uh, graphics or designs to the same underlying cut of a hoodie, for example, um, that's like innovative and then actually get royalties back on all the all the work that they um, did there, that would be huge because the issue normally in fashion is like, if you work in fashion and you want sort of the upside of ownership, you have to sort of start your whole own brand. You know, you have to like figure out the marketing side of things. You have to figure out production. Like you just might be a pattern maker, but you, you have two choices. It's just like go work for some wage salary at a corporation or you know, figure out how to do everything yourself, which, you know, for a lot of people that they might not be that sort of like business oriented or whatever, like hardcore working people that can make that happen. So they're, they just have to settle for that. But in Metafactory, we change that because we can let people focus on the thing that they want to focus on and the thing that they can do best. And then let other people um, sort of fill in for what, what they can't do but distribute ownership and have the upside of like everyone having their own sort of company or owner initiative. Um, but in a way that's like collectively owned. Um, so you get, you get the best of both worlds. And, you know, with the DAOs that we work with, it's the same thing where, you know, usually if they wanted to produce merch, they would either like, you know, have to figure out how to do it themselves or pay someone a lot of money to do it. With Metafactory, we literally pay them to drop merch, merch with us, which is like crazy if you think about it. But you know, it all works out because what the value, because we actually can, Metafactory is like tuned to recognize value in all the places where, you know, other systems aren't. So we recognize the value in a community bringing, you know, customers to us. So, you know, we've done drops with like Sushi and Yearn and, you know, Bankless and like all these like sort of big communities. And when we all were essentially like summing together the clout of these communities and cross-pollinating people between these communities. And, you know, there's a certain uh, sort of prestige now to like 
you know, doing a drop with MetaFactory. Um, and it's because we're sort of, you know, putting these communities together in a positive some way. And the value of that is like, you know, essentially the reason why we just, if you want to do a drop with us, we give you robot tokens proportional to how well your drop sells. And, you know, a lot of the time those robot tokens would actually be worth way more than the the value of the sales if we were to like, you know, take some sort of cut and then give them some part of the revenue. That That's a sort of normal transactional like business way of thinking about it. And for us, that like really complicates things because this is a bunch of like legal issues around, you know, if we're actually selling and producing physical products, it's like, you know, tax issues and like, uh, all these things you have to take care of. So th- that whole structure too, which, you know, the separate like LLC and DAO structure, like figuring out the legal engineering, that was another part of it too, of like, how do we actually, you know, do this like physical real world operation in a like compliant way while also having an experiment with this DAO and, you know, the the two entity like model worked out really well as a as a way to like operate is, you know, we we have essentially it's like an oracle into the real world with this LLC, and then the DAO members you know have access to see like all the like financials and the legal paperwork, and you know everyone's in the DAO is like compensated in the same way. But we we have this con- separate sort of container from, from in the legacy world that can uh, act. You know it can pay taxes, it can take payments in fiat, it can you know do all those things. Um, and you know, the, when we were working with Bankless too, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the value that working with Metafactory, a lot of these communities get is actually not in the merch, but in us, we end up like advising people on DAO structures and tokenomics and stuff. Cause you know, the, in the process of building Metafactory, we've had to figure out a lot of this stuff. And, you know, when we talk to people, they sort of see behind the scenes and when they're working with us, they see behind the scenes what we're doing and it, it like, you know, it can be pretty inspiring and give people ideas on, uh, and and we end up helping people, you know, figure out their DAO structures and how to build and, you know, grow their DAO. And that's the exactly the case with Bankless is before like Bankless DAO happened, um, we were working with them on their merch drops and, you know, uh, as they were like designing Bankless DAO, the whole like two, like the LLC and the DAO being separate and, you know, compensation and like, you know, measuring value and like, all these things, like it all came up and it ended up being like, you know, so the, the collaborations actually, you know, end up being much deeper than just like the surface level, oh, we're doing merch or doing the drop. And, you know, and that's a cool part about it is like the merch is actually an enabler of like a lot of other things downstream. Um, and, you know, it, it helps people like represent the culture and all the, all this stuff. But it's so much more than just like, you know, oh, I'm wearing this logo or representing this logo. Um, or this like, you know, really transactional thing. It's a much like deeper, positive some relationship we build. Yeah. You know, I think the one thing I keep, that keeps ringing in my head as you describe this so elegantly is it's, it's an ecosystem, right? But it goes beyond maybe some of the expected things from this, from this platform, from this product, which is, you know, merchandise and fashion partnerships, you know, it, it, it sounds like there's also like a certain experiential uh treatment or uh opportunities for projects that want to collaborate in creating you know more robust if you will uh systems for uh onboarding and rewarding individuals like you said you know in terms of tokenomics and uh DAO structure you know i think a, a lot of really big 
challenges, right? Because especially I think 2021 saw a explosion of DAOs, like, you know, every couple of days there was, you know, or if not every day, there was a several DAOs being launched. And I think with that comes the challenges of like, well, how do we get started? How do we build out a uh, structure that has good governance and is, you know, inclusive and thoughtful in its design. And uh, if you have a token, which most projects do, it's like, how do we find ways to create, uh, you know, incentive alignment with our contributors and, you know, both core contributors and those that pop in and just want to support the project in some small way and, and irregularly. So that's that's actually really interesting and really uh, something I didn't know that um, Metafactory was doing, I guess, because it happens behind the scenes with the with the people that they're connecting with and speaking to. So yeah, and you know, it's interesting too because I think I just had a conversation sometime this week with someone where we were talking about like how the DAO space, while really incredible to watch. Uh, you know, grow and mature. The one thing that I feel uh, that is a challenge is, you know, it's a very inefficient space for many reasons, but one of them is I think that DAOs tend to solve the same issue over and over. Uh, There are no standards. There is no way to kind of uh, learn from other DAOs and how they operate and, uh, you know, to be able to create something that maybe is a good baseline for projects to start with. And then as the project uh, grows, iterating based on their own communities, their own needs. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really cool to watch or cool to hear, I guess, that Metafactory does something, even though it's maybe not so, uh, maybe you don't mention it that way as in terms of like, these are standards that you know could work for everyone, but really as an ad hoc, like as needed, someone comes in, establish a relationship with the project and there's a potential learning opportunity for everyone. Yeah, for sure. I think like we're so early in this, like it's the, like one of our members said, we're like um, in like the first inning of like a four game season or I don't know what he said exactly, something like that. Um, So, you know, this is like, it's much bigger than even what any one of us will be able to do in a lifetime. Um, so in, in that sense, it's like the, there's this, like, I, I think most of the biggest hurdle with DAOs, um, is not going to be like the practices or like the tooling or like what we're building or any of that. It's like, it's actually more about unlearning, um, a lot of the legacy concepts and, you know, ways of thinking and mentalities and trauma we have. Like I've seen it time and time again, where, you know, the, the biggest barrier for people to like sort of achieve the most that they want to achieve and, you know, sort of have fulfillment and happiness is not actually, you know, a lot of people in crypto, it's like they're so focused on the compensation or the incentives. It's like, oh, people aren't doing this because they're just not incentivized enough to do it. When that can be the case a lot of the times, but what we've noticed is like so much more about people having the confidence to even believe that they can do it. You know, like the in the legacy world, people are just so used to being like taken advantage of and, you know, being undervalued that it it's like it's put them into this like fearful state of like, you know, not wanting to take leadership or ownership or, you know, uh, ha- having this level of like imposter syndrome and, um, you know, not like uh, having this like fear of like committing or engaging because 
they know like, you know, usually anytime in the legacy world, like you're engaging with a certain organization or corporation because of something they say, you know, it's usually to their benefit, but not your benefit. So there's this like, you know, unlearning process, like, um, that, that needs to happen, um, for people to then evolve and like realize that, you know, there can be this like actual positive, some, some ways of working and, uh, yeah, with Metafactory, like where it's it, from day one, it's not really been about like, oh, we're gonna, you know, create some standards or like protocols to like tell people how they should run their DAOs. It's more so we're gonna like, you know, take the technology that's here that we have at our hands and apply it to the real world to try to make something happen that's like genuinely valuable. Like we want to have an actual product and be, you know, doing real productive things. Um, and then, you know, from that process, whatever we do to come up with that, like that's the sort of like path we tread, you know, we're sort of, uh, it's, it's like the, um, the beaten path, I guess. And then we can go back and see in what we've created in the process of trying to do what we're trying to do, like what things have we created or what practice have we had and just share those out with others. And then if if they resonate with others, like it's essentially pattern matching. You start to see like everyone sort of having these divergent experiments. And then you talk with others and then you pattern match and see like what are the synchronicities or, you know, um, the, the repeating fractals across different organizations. And then you, you look at those and then you build tooling around that. Um, and, you know, it's it's as much, and this is the whole like meta thing is like, it's not really about any specific tool but the meta layer of like how we're using those tools and how we're making those tools work with each other better. Um, and, you know, the uh, like, and, and this is coming more so this year, we're getting into like, we've talked about digi-physical and NFT wearables and stuff. And the whole process of figuring that out, it was like, you know, it's, uh, it's, it would it would been really easy for us to just be like, oh, here's the best way we think it should be done. And then we want everyone to adopt it. And then, you know, have the, like, get a bunch of VCs to invest and then, you know, get them to, like, use their influence to, like, push adoption of our standard, you know, against all others and sort of take that route. But, you know, for us, we really wanted to connect deeply with the people who have been thinking about these problems and, you know, understanding them and working in this space, you know, with the with the VR community, you know, particularly the the Japanese VR community, in, like they're way ahead of the game in terms of actually understanding what it takes to have like an interoperable metaverse um, and, you know, learning from them, like what are the real issues in terms of like, you know, avatar formats and rigging characters with like wearables and, you know, uh, cross-world interoperability of like 3D files and all, all these things that, you know, um, it, it, like a lot of people don't really go to that effort to like learn from what's already out there. And that's the thing is like, with crypto, we're not really doing anything new. We just have new tools in our tool belt to attack the same problems that have existed for like centuries and that people have been trying to, you know, solve for a very long time. Um, so in that sense, it's like it's imperative for us to like bring in those people who we can like, you know, learn from and uh like empower them with these tools, you know, uh and and use these tools to like actually um you know, not just do crypto stuff for the sake of crypto stuff, but actually start to apply this stuff for things we say it's good for. And, you know, instead of trying to get everyone to become a crypto person and learn how this stuff works and like learn about the intricacies of like gas fees and blockchain, which, you know, that's, that, that's not really relevant. We have to like, 
we have to start thinking a level higher where, okay, how can we empower them with these tools now to like accomplish what they want to accomplish, you know, and whether it's like artists or creators or designers or, you know, 3D world builders, like as much as they don't expect us to know how to like design stuff or be creative, like crypto people shouldn't expect them to like know, have like deep knowledge or understanding of blockchain. Um, but we still need to be able to bridge the gap and work with those people. And, you know, with Metafactory, we've we've been doing that with like, you know, whether it's on the fashion side or, you know, the, the metaverse side, like the the intersection of like the metaverse community and the crypto community is like very small right now. Um, and a lot of crypto people like talk about the metaverse, but are kind of disconnected from the people who have been building on it and like thinking it's it's definitely getting better now. Like a year or two ago, it was like, very little overlap. It was like basically gin and like ten other people, but now it's it's, it's gotten much better. But um, yeah, I think you know, there's there's that for, for us. It's always been way more about having fun and like connecting with the right people than any sort of like you know vanity success metrics or the sort of like Web two corporate model of like you know the the main central goal being like maximizing GDP, maximizing revenue, maximizing like stock price or quarterly revenue or whatever it may be. Yeah, no, to your to your point in terms of slowly cross-secting or intersecting with uh, VR, I've seen a few people in that that I would consider established people in the VR space slowly appearing in the comments of some of the other people that I that I, I follow on Twitter that are uh regularly talking about crypto and web three. And so it's really but but it's but it's but it's not it's not fully there yet, right? Because um, I guess another thing prior to working in this space, you know, with uh, Web three, I guess in terms of you know decentralized technologies and crypto, and uh, I was uh, building in the VR space, and so I was attending events regularly, you know, VR events and going to meetups and got to uh, meet some really interesting people that were thinking about VR. This is like, gosh, like six, seven years ago. And uh, now, you know, being, I, I would consider myself fully immersed in this space. I, I peek over at those other communities. I'm like, nope, not there yet. We're not talking, to, we're not talking together yet. So it's, it's great to, I guess, hear your perspective too, in that uh, the vision, both in terms of not just the opportunity, that there is to work with these folks who have been building out this space uh, for years, but also maybe to some degree a temperature check as to you know where we are at currently in terms of potential collab and even discussions uh, you know f- amongst the two different communities. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like I think you know th- there's. There's obviously like this huge like negative effect too with like all the recent NFT hype, which you know to it, it has like the double-edged sword, which like you know it gets a lot of attention, and you know you could say no press is bad press, but um, at the same time it, it it does like turn people off from the technology as a whole um, and kind of like stifles innovation because you know uh, like VR chat for example, you know recently like banned anything relating to like NFTs or crypto. You know, one of the creators in our community, you know, he had a, a showcase in um, a virtual market, which is like the world's biggest like VR event um, that happens every year. Uh, and he didn't even, he wasn't even selling NFTs or anything. It's just that he had in his booth, he had a link to his website. And then on his website, 
he happened to be like he would he had NFTs um, that he sold, and Booth got banned just for that. Oh my um, gosh, they were and, digging, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, and it makes sense that they're doing that because they're trying to like be extra cautious and like you know just seeing the backlash from the you know the gamer community especially um, you know against NFTs and misinformation about its environmental impact and things like that. But, you know, a lot of justified um, hate, I think, in terms of uh, today's NFTs just being really like low effort cash grabs and people just sort of hyper focusing on this one use case of like PFPs and PFPs is even like a a subset of a subset of niche of use cases. You know, just the idea that like NFTs are about some sort of, you know, this is a, a, a piece of like... A, a picture or some video or something like attached to some representation on chain. And that's what an NFT is about. It's like, even that is like so limiting. Cause like, if you think about it, like 99.9% of everything in the world is like non-fungible. Every experience you have, every relationship you have, you know, every moment in time is, is non-fungible. So uh, th- there's so much more to do there um, than just like, use nfts to represent some sort of uh image or art um but the because that makes money and because you know people have convinced other people like and that's things like nfts are genuinely like game-changing technology but people are able to use that against others for because people who might not understand it might think like the extent of this game-changingness is like just in this picture stuff so um the people tunnel vision on that one use case and then milk it to no, to no end until like it has all these like negative side effects and you know so i i do think there's like yeah justified in in that and it, it lim- because it limits people from seeing what they're actually supposed to be about which is something much deeper and more like interactive and dynamic and you know functional and necessary uh than purely just like tokenized art yeah i mean i feel like we can keep going but, um, you know, I think the last time we talked, uh, we talked about identity, and I think actually we both operate in that space, so it's always a very interesting um, discussion to have. But the one thing that, I, that I'm, I'm going to ask before we run out of time is mycelium. You know, I know you're one of those proponents uh, that thinks about mycelium, and it's, um, I guess, the, the things that we can learn from, from that organism as in terms of how we can develop these organisms that are DAOs. So can you kind of maybe briefly touch on like just generally the parallels and some of the uh, things that you've found in your research in terms of how DAOs can learn from these, uh, from from this other organism? Yeah, for sure. Um, so mycelium, anyone who, does, who isn't aware, it's essentially like the inner, it's like the nature's internet. Uh, or nature's blockchain, essentially. Uh, it's like deeply interconnected, like systems underground that act as like ways for all sorts of organisms, um, you know, fungus, uh, it forms the mycelium, um, but, you know, trees, plants, like they all sort of communicate and distribute resources and nutrients and like sort of send signals through that like interconnected network. And it can be, you know, many, many miles long and and it's an actual like organism somewhere in between a plant and an animal um and this sort of forms like 
you know, a lot of like nature's intelligence or, you know, the, the vehicle from which like nature distributes uh, information and value and resources. Um, so, you know, blockchain in a lot of ways is like uh, also this like information and value, like internet and the internet itself, like the the structure of it is very much like mycelium. And um, it's interesting because like mycelium, it's like, you know, really, really tiny and it can have like billions of like, you know, uh, sensors essentially and just like a handful of dirt. Um, but the, the the same sort of patterns and fractals, you see them in, in a macro scale too, like with, you know, the the way like tree branches structure, it's the whole like, you know, um, uh, like golden ratio or Fibonacci sequence that's like repeated in nature. And, you know, the, the same sort of patterns of like our brain actually are neural pathways um, and the internet actually takes a similar structure as well. Um, so, you know, you realize that, you know, the humans, we have this like certain ego that like we think that we're sort of like peak intelligence um, and everything we do is the best. But, you know, a lot of the best sort of design actually gets inspired by nature and this sort of like biomimetic form of thinking or designing where, you know, nature has been along and sort of designing and, you know, coordinating all these really complex systems that keep everything in perfect balance for a very, very long time. Uh, and, you know, instead of us, you know, creating this more like mechanical sort of human, like top down way of thinking or, you know, doing things, which is like, you know, very new and sort of not not evolved because you know the even the concept of garbage for example like nature doesn't have the concept of garbage humans invented it and it's like a big regression because with nature everything just decomposes and that actually happens with like you know mycelium and fungus as well that it the it serves that purpose of like decomposing something and putting those nutrients back and and reusing them um so i think in the in the same way dows like it's going to be about you know changing how we structure our organizations from these sort of robotic, mechanical, top-down, command and control type uh, structures to, again, another fractal of that same like network structure that's in mycelium in our brains and everywhere throughout nature. Um, and, you know, use blockchain and DAOs to like uh, coordinate human labor, essentially, uh, and use this information and value highway to like distribute resources to where they are from where they are to like where they need to be like really rapidly in real time. Um, and a lot of people to like emergently coordinate and, you know, do stuff together and exist for as long as they need to be. And then, you know, as soon as it's not needed, it can be like decomposed and then the energy sort of, you know, redistributed throughout the system. Um, so, you know, it, it's really about figuring out this like biomimetic way of thinking and redesigning our organizations and society from, from a bottom up way. And the, the complexity of these systems like should not come from some sort of top-down decision-making, but more so emergent out of like the micro interactions that happen. And sort of that's how nature and my system operate is like from the tiny little interactions of like atoms and molecules and like, you know, the mitochondria and the cell, like all those like kind of building blocks are composed. And then the, the resulting system is actually like emergent from that complexity rather than designed by those like individual sort of, things so there's like this underlying sort of root you know coordination that's happening um and it's more so about like tuning into that signal of coordination than it is about us sort of enacting our own you know the way we think it should be coordinated and sort of projecting that into the into nature and you know that that sort of like idea of like root coordination is you know i think that 
people in a lot of religions, that's essentially God, right? So that's that's really the that's really what it goes back to is like, you know, uh, recognizing that the world that we're in, <clears throat> it's like, you know, way more complex and strange and weird, and you know, powerful than any one of us like designed or could have even asked for, right? We didn't really ask to be here or like, you know, at any part in, in this complex system that even created us. So to think that we are actually more intelligent than it is like very, uh, I think, you know, immature way of thinking. So um, I think that that's the next step for humanity to evolve is actually to to go back and, you know, realize the, the real systems in, in which it needs to operate in. And that's wrap. I truly hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you'd like to learn more about Metafactory, go to metafactory.ai and on Twitter at The Metafactory. Thanks for listening to Crypto Sapiens. Please give us a follow, like, and a five-star review wherever you enjoy your podcasts, and stay tuned for our next discussion.